Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 is where we will begin. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Notice the preposition change from on to in. This world is not our home. I understand that this puts us in a place where we are consistently countercultural, but this world is very temporary for us. We are pilgrims momentarily passing through this land. That's why we do not sorrow as others sorrow with death. By either way of rapture or grave, we are going to see the king. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew, the 13th chapter, seeming to be in line with the same concept of earth and soil. Jesus in a host of parables. He's the great storyteller. Gives us an incredible likening here. There's amazing similes recognized and metaphors recognized in Scripture. And here, talking about the kingdom of heaven in verse 44 of the 13th chapter, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. When a man found it, he, he hideth for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. According to Jewish law, this was there's no deceit at play, although this is most likely a, it seems like a hypothetical, but we know it really to be that Christ saw value in us and purchased us the way that it's played out here. But in Jewish law, the man that bought the field, the treasure that had been left there, and we'll discuss that maybe in a little bit, he would have naturally got what came in the field as an addition. They did not necessarily take the rights when something was found. There was the right of finding. And uh, so what's taking place here is Jesus is just teaching a little bit of a, a story. Can I say this? You ought to know the treasure that's in your field. I want to know the treasure that's in my field. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to smile real big. I want you to show them every tooth you own legally. I want you to smile big enough they know whether or not you brush them after breakfast. Come on. Get friendly one with another. <laughs> Say these words. God wants to know where your treasure really is. Pray with me, Lord, you've been better to us than we deserve, and I'm asking that you'd somehow help us in this house. Help me to preach the way I feel it. Let my tongue be as the pen of a readied writer. I don't want to do it with oratorical ability that would somehow maneuver my way around, but I want to get into the flow of your spirit. I want to be a blessing to these people, a blessing to this body, because we as a people want to be a blessing to your kingdom. 
And I can't be a real blessing to your kingdom if I walk outside of the word. And so I pray you'd help us to walk texturally within the pages of scripture and that it might become applicable in my life. Dear Lord, if you need to, uh, if you need to move on me and, and correct me a little bit, I'm going to preach to myself, God, let these sweet people be blessed while they listen. I pray it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And let everybody say amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Some people get nervous when, when I ask them to talk to their neighbor or when the pastor asks them to talk to their neighbor. But I have found that if you can't talk to people you go to church with, it's hard for you to talk to people you live in the world with. And If you can't share your testimony one with each other, it's going to be tough to share with your neighbor. I was blessed to be a part of North American Youth Congress and thankful for this church sending a group to be there. I've heard the great reports. I've got a room filled with things to try to make it better. Brother Johns, you know all about that. People paying compliments and yet a couple people that are helping us make some educated decisions. I was ready for reprieve by the time that thing was over. I was ready to take me a little rest. And for those that don't think I deserved it, well, that's your problem. I, I felt like I did deserve it. And, and so uh, <laughs> I, uh, I listened to those who thought I did. And I had scheduled a couple years ago to preach in Fort Myer or in uh, Fort Lauderdale area. And so we scheduled a vacation for the week after in Fort Myers. And we would just drive back over. And, and so we spent a little time in one of those days in that week I got to take my kids on a cloudy day you know I found out it's not the best time to go to Florida during hurricane season uh, uh, naturally as a Midwesterner I think in the sunshine state sun ought to be shining it's false advertising but there were pockets of every day where the sun still slipped out and made its appearance one particular day we got to take our kids to a a beach. We had got a recommendation from one of the local pastors on where we could take our kids to let them collect seashells, and so we did that. And if you've never been to a beach and brought back a plastic baggie full of sand and seashells, then then you you owe it to yourself and your luggage and any shoes that you want to throw away to to do that, because once sand gets in it, sand's staying in it. I don't care how good your vacuum is. I don't care how good how hard you try. Sand that comes home. Is of the devil. <laughs> uh-huh. I was reminded of something while I was there. There are people around the corners of the world on our coasts that get up every morning and they head to the ocean, but they head for a different reason than we were heading there. They weren't heading to find seashells. They're not even going to fish or to surf. They're headed for a different reason. They're headed for what some of you have already thought of many times this year that have been plugged into our SFC theme of treasure, you, you know they're headed there because of the estimated billions of dollars in treasure which lay on the ocean floor. Brother Reyes, still this very morning while we were prepping and putting on our suits and ties, there were hosts of fleets around the corners of the world who are doing today what they're doing every day. They're heading in the pursuit of treasure It cost them an absolute fortune to seek fortune. It cost them family and time and resources and investment. But they have come to a place where they've decided that what they have to invest is of less significance than what the payoff would actually be if they could discover treasure. 
It was a few years ago that in a large recovery, the largest of a fleet of ships to date from the San Jose was drawn from the ocean floor. When it was pulled up from the ocean floor, there was an estimate of $3 billion worth of treasure. Oh, can anybody imagine what you would do with $3 billion? I know, yeah, I said billion with a B. Just try to let your mind wander. I know you don't play the lottery. But let's say. <laughs> After discovery and research and work, last year, at the end of the year, three years in the making, they finally settled that not was it three, it wasn't three billion dollars, it was over 18 billion dollars worth of treasure which was sitting on the ocean floor. What could we do with just a little fraction of $18 billion to reach Atlanta? Ladies, what could you do with your shoe collection? Some of y'all probably want to pause for prayer now. Seeking treasure is a major, major industry. It's taking over uh, entire stations, the pursuit of gold, the the pursuit of riches, it's not a new thing, but there seems to have been a revival in the last handful of years that has taken the world by storm, this pursuit of treasure. There was, in fact, an uh, a, a, a act that was put in place, the Treasure Act, having to try to start running people's findings through this list of requirements. Because not everything you find is a treasure. How many know that's right? There need to be some stipulations. Not, not everything is a treasure. And people were coming back with stuff and calling it treasure that wasn't treasure. And they were broadcasting it and getting on the local news. Local man finds treasure. Well, it was an old tire. It wasn't treasure. It, it came off of a 1943 Honda. And it's, it, it's not a treasure. It's, it's treasure to you. Now, let's pause for a second and identify this. Sometimes things are treasure to you that aren't treasure. <laughs> Not everything that has value is really treasure. I know you felt like you ate that meal and had to take a, a picture of that cheesecake. It's valuable, but it's not treasure. Let me talk to the men for a second. Not everything she thinks is valuable. Is really treasure. And women same thing for you. I know he's probably got some hunting equipment. That he thinks is real valuable. Maybe he's got some golf clubs. But they're not necessarily treasure. There's a difference between what you hold dear. And what's treasure. Can I say to us as people of God. We need to be careful not to over label. We have one Real primary starting point when it comes to treasure. And I don't think I need to go very far. But I could maybe just remind us. Our first treasure is unequivocally Jesus Christ. Is that alright? Is it alright for me to pause on a Sunday in Atlanta. And say that before I consider anything else. The first treasure of my life is Christ and Him crucified. 
I thank God for all the blessings in my life. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my car. I'm thankful for my wardrobe. I'm thankful for my friends. But there is one who died for me. There is one who gave his life for me. There's only one who shed blood for me. It was not my friends that purchased me with their blood. It was not the disciples or the apostles. No, no, no. It was not the PTA. It was not my career. It Come on, I thank God for your education, but that is not your first love, and it is not your first treasure. I thank God for your friends and your family, but that is not your first love, and that is not your first treasure. But when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, come on, like the old song, my soul cries, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. When I look at where I was and when I consider where I could be, you got to forgive me for a minute. When I think about where I could be and where I should be, some of you know you'd be in the grave today. You know you'd be in a jail cell today had it not been for the Lord by my side. So every now and then I just kind of remember it was Jesus who brought me here. It was Jesus who picked me up. It was Jesus who turned me around. It was Jesus who set my feet. I thank God for the blessings in my life. But if I've got a gift, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I can trace it all back to one thing. Give me Jesus. 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 Take the car. Give me Jesus. Take the house. Give me Jesus. Take my friends. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Come on, I wish you'd shout like you know it's true. I'm not trying to get you wore to a frazzle. I'm trying to get you to remember it was him all along. It was the touch of God. We don't have any reason to do these. Let's celebrate the party. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd have no reason to baptize. We'd have no infilling of the Holy Ghost. We wouldn't be separating this or celebrating this man and his wife for being buried in Jesus' name because there'd be no Jesus' name. It's not the water that makes it powerful. It's not the pews that make this powerful. It's not the mic system that makes this powerful. It's everything we have and every song we sing and every dance we give it's tied to the power of a name a name that's above every other it's at the name of Jesus every knee will bow it's at the name of Jesus that every tongue will confess that there is one Lord there is one faith and there is one baptism there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all and I'm glad I know who he is his name is Jesus clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise in fact, I think everybody ought to just shout for a minute about the fact that you know who he is. He's the one who took my addiction. He's the one who took my pain. He's the one who carried my... He's the 
was the one who was wounded for my transgressions and bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and it's with his stripes that I'm healed. If God's ever healed your body, you ought to wave your hand. Don't you give me some little nod right now. Some of you ought to remember it was him. It was him. When the doctor said no, Jesus said yes. When the physician said forget it, Jesus said I got another plan. When your back was against the wall, Jesus. It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, while people all over this world are cursing him and they are damning his name, you ought to lift your voice and say, it's Jesus. It's in him. Everything good I've got is in him. He's my first treasure. Find three people. Just smile real big, almost big enough to make it awkward. Come on, find a few people. Tell them it's Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Thinking about Jesus will make you dance when you don't feel like you got any dance left. Thinking about Jesus will make you shout when the finances tell you you shouldn't and the job situation makes you think you shouldn't and the school system seems corrupt and the news is broadcasted. But you begin to think about Jesus and you begin to think about the Lord on your Jesus. Find somebody you haven't talked to yet. Give them a high five and tell them you ought to worship him like you know he set you free. Is this all right? It was Jesus. Now, The problem with this is that Jesus, Jesus didn't say lay up treasure. He said lay up treasures. Like multiple. Yeah, because they came to him later in the gospel. He said, why don't you teach me the commandments? Why don't you tell me? Oh, you got to love God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. Heart, soul, mind, right? That's what he said. He said, all right, good. You give me somebody and an organ and let me just preach Jesus. That's easy preaching. Come on, I've done this long enough to know. Begin to talk about the goodness of the Lord. And every now and then, let the thing, woo. I know it was Jesus. He, he was on my. Let him just. He. But Jesus looked back at him and said, But before they get too busy on the Hammond, you also got to know the second commandment is as great as the first. Huh? You got to love your neighbor like you love yourself. 
it's easy for me to shout about number one because number one is about me. It's about what he's done for me. But Jesus said, as you have done unto the least of these, you have done unto me. What you have done to invest in others is the way I really know you feel about my kingdom. Listen, I didn't expect everybody to jump up on this part. It's all right. I can handle it. Just hang with me for a second. But I have learned this about the kingdom of God, that if I really love him, I will begin to love them. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me. You got to be like one of these kids that runs up to me. I'm going to tell you what, listen here. I'm going to be real transparent for a second. It was three days ago on Thursday morning. I was driving past my kids' school. And I pray over that school and those teachers and my babies because we sent them into a public school. Like a lot of you mamas and daddies have done now that school, thank God, is back in session. Summer's over and the devil is a liar. Hey! It's almost as good as point number one. I, I was driving past there on Thursday morning and I'm passionate and emotional anyway and so I saw this father and his children and when I saw them I instantly began to pray over them and I began to cry which I'm prone to do oh, God would you bless that family would you reach to that family and all my times of doing this in all these years the Lord has never stopped me but he stopped me in the middle of that prayer and said just don't you dare weep over who you're not willing to reach for some of you, you might want to question theology on that. What does it mean you can't get to everybody? No, I can't. I can't get to every country, and we're going to preach about that. And I, I can't get to every little place where we're trying to reach these orphans, and, and we're going to preach about that, and we're going to give to that. But he was trying to remind me, if you love me, you're going to love them. And if you can get in arm's reach of them, if you really believe this message, if you really believe in the eternal consequences of my word, if you truly believe there is a heaven to and a hell to shun you cannot simply pray you must take what's on the inside and put it to outside actionable evidence you must invest not only internally but externally in the kingdom of God I want to reach I want to sow I want to be invested in the kingdom of God now watch this the parables that are kind of dovetailed together dealing with the earth and with the soil most of you would remember the very famous uh, chapter Matthew 25 where it begins to speak of the ten that were pure and here we end up with the ten virgins and those that were pure and they and they come and they've prepared and there's oil for the lamps and the others begin to cry there's foolish that aren't ready so we, we understand what's happening here in Matthew 25 but when you get down in he begins to talk about the talents that were distributed to three individuals five and two and one and the five invests and turns it into ten you remember the story and two turns it into four but then there was one brother DJ that he is given a talent from the master and when he's given that talent he takes it and he hides it in the earth remember the master comes back and it seems to be right in line with these others in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 13 we're on this talent in the earth and hiding in the earth how does this tie together the, Matthew, the master comes back and he is irate I mean he's mad because here comes this young man says I, I know you you're a hard man he gives him the talent and he says you should have at least put it in the bank I didn't even know there was a bank bank it wasn't Bank of America I don't know if it was fifth third You should have at least collected a little interest off of it. Because the 
Bible tells us he was gone for a while. But can I tell you that even in today's culture, there is a great movement of individuals that do not trust banks or banking systems, and they will not put their money. I was with someone not long ago who told me that they had that the, the person they knew had money stashed all over their house. I tried to get invited over. Do you need a house sitter? Are you leaving town? Will you leave town? Have a dog? I'll buy you a dog. I'll come over and watch the dog I bought for you. In this culture, too unfortunate. it's unfortunate for us a lot of times. We look at scripture through a 21st century lens. And we got to go back to a 1st century lens. This was commonality of the day. That they would take treasure and they would hide it. They would bury it in a field. The problem with hiding treasure is folks die. I know you don't want to think about it. We're by way of the rapture or the grave, you're gonna be gone. The problem with hiding that treasure and not telling anybody else is someone else may stumble upon it. So when the master comes back and he's irate at this individual, he's looking at him. That guy did not come to some revelation. I bet I, I ought to hide it in the ground and then it'll be found. No, he got in line with the culture of the day. Hold on to what you have. That was the culture of the day. And oh, isn't that the culture of this day? He was probably taught that by a father or by a mother because that was what they had done. If you get something good, you hold on to it and you hide it so that you'll have it. Why would you invest it when there's a chance of losing it? But watch, you don't really understand the parable until the remainder of it. It's not the master that gives the testimony. It's the investor, the one who put it in the earth that said, I know that you're a hard man. You walk into fields where you didn't plant and you reap harvest. You go into fields where you didn't put the seed down and you take from that field. And the man's looking back at him thinking, don't you get it? I make a livelihood out of taking from other people's fields. In the opening parable of a treasure that's found in a field, I have found myself chewing over this, trying to understand Christ, what's happening here. The many different uh, commentaries that paint different pictures of what is exactly being portrayed here and where you line up. I believe that it's obvious to me at least that Christ is showing that there is a field where there is a treasure that has already been purchased. I want to give you something here today. Number one, I cannot again imagine owning a field and not knowing the value that was in it. I don't want to have a field that I refuse to spend time in. I'm going to say that again. I don't want to have a field that I refuse to spend time in. That's why I'm such a huge proponent of young ladies like Olivia starting Project 7 Bible Clubs when they go into their, pub, into their public schools. And, and for some of our students here that are going in and starting either P7 or CMI or those of you that are on the job site and you've started Bible studies or you're part of small groups and working with individuals. If he puts us in a field, I think he trusts us to learn the value of the treasures that are hidden in the field however I will tell you when it comes to this ultimate treasure we have already been purchased that's why I get so infuriated when hell tries to convince people that they do not have the call of God on their life and that the God cannot do something I 
Some people might not like this, but I have been known to walk up to perfect strangers under the unction of the Holy Ghost and look at them and say, you have a call of God on your life. I'm not talking about in the church. I'm talking about in the neighborhood complex. I'm talking about walking up to them in the supermarket. I've got one lady I can't get out of my mind right now, Angel, I walked up to in the projects, a sweet, beautiful, little African-American lady who was standing there, and the Holy Ghost prompted me. Man, I was drawn to her. I walked up to her, and I said, Angel, the Lord wants you to know you've been lying in bed at night with tears flowing off your cheeks asking for an answer. I'm your answer right now. Tears. I said, the call of God that's been on your life is still on your life right now. I had never met her before, but God had known her since before she ever came from the womb. Can I tell you that there is a treasure and it's purchased. It's not only the individuals sitting in this church right now, but it's individuals that are scattered through our school systems. They're sitting in our workplaces. They are gathered in... God, I feel something coming on me right now. God is not intimidated by any crime rate in Atlanta. He's not intimidated by drugs and neither should we be. He's not intimidated by alcoholism and neither should we be. Because he has already purchased the treasure according to the gospel with his own blood. I know the devil is looking at some of us and even telling you about your family. It don't matter because I own this field. Well, you ought to remind him that just because you got the field for now doesn't mean you own the treasure because you didn't buy the treasure and according to Jewish law you don't get to keep he doesn't get to keep possession of your family he doesn't get to keep possession of your children he doesn't get to my 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 he doesn't get to keep possession of your co-workers of your schoolhouse everybody say the treasure is the Lord's That's exactly right. The treasure is the Lord's. And the devil doesn't have the right to convince us that just because he's taken some temporary ownership of a field, you know, I didn't do this in the first service, and I wouldn't do it if I didn't feel prompted right now. I want you to lift your hands. Man, I see a field. It's been labeled other under other ownership, but I see a field right now. God, I see it. There's a treasure sitting in that field that the people that own that field they do not know the value, but it is going to be treasure to this church. My God, I want you to pray with me for a second. I want the men and women of God in this room, I want you to begin to pray fervently with me right now. Just tapped into something in the spirit here. Come on, if you've ever prayed, I want you to pray. Somebody begin to pray over the field. If you don't know how to pray, just say, God, give us the field because there's a treasure in the field. Give us the field because there's a treasure in the field. I love you on the book.
You may be the only one in your family living for God. Don't you let the enemy convince you that field is the enemy's. That is not the enemy's treasure. And it doesn't get to remain his field. The difference in the parable was the man who found the treasure said, I'll give up everything it takes to buy the field. Because when I get the field, I'll get the treasure. When I get the field, I'll get the treasure. I'll pray as much as I have to pray. And I'll give as much as I have to give. I'll sell as much as I have to sell somebody shout this is my field my dad and I accidentally pulled we were, we were hunting in southern Illinois one time and we, we pulled in this guy's we, we were just checking something on the truck and pulled in man this whole farmer came up pulled up on a tractor he was, he was old. Him and Moses were friends. He was old, man. He was old. Pulled up, looked at me. Thought he was going to say hello, which would have been normal. He looked down and said, You make it a practice to park on someone else's property? Brother Fane, I sized him up. I thought I never whipped an old man. <laughs> it stuck with me though that he looked at me like that and it's put a little bit of righteous indignation in me over the years when I've thought about it in the realm of the spirit why do we let people and things and spirits park on a field Whew. I'm in something here in this service I'm tapped into something right here right now quit letting people and the enemy park on your property and the things where God has... Listen, let me ask something right here. How many mamas and daddies in here would stand with me and say, there ain't no treasure like my children. There ain't no treasure like my babies. Some of you are going to stand and your babies ain't even living for God right now. But I got a word from heaven for you. And I feel some righteous indignation. Get off my field. Get off my property. Get... This treasure was purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm telling you what God is putting into us is the same thing that was resonating in him. That when you love yourself and you love those that you're in charge, it begins to bleed over. And you begin to think of the orphan. And you begin to think of the widow. And you begin to think of the missionary. And you begin to think of the other. We are in the perfect season to reap the last day revival that has been prophesied to us for the last century and a half. We are in the we are in the pivotal moment to be able to reap the harvest. There are things happening across the face of the earth right now that have never happened before. Brother Reyes, there has never been such a multi-ethnic revival as is taking place right now across the world. Not just in North America, but across the globe. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. I want to be... I want to be tapped into that. I will sell everything it has to be sold. I would give up everything that has to be given up. But I am going to get investment into this field. I am going to get purchase and ownership in this field. His name was Fritz Kreisler. Fritz Kreisler was noted as an amazing talent when he was just a child. 
pulling a violin to his shoulder. It was notable almost instantly by teachers the way that his fingers would find the strings. The way that his head would slightly begin to move as he would hear within his own mind before it came across audibly in the room the beautiful and angelic sounds of one of the hardest instruments to play, the violin. As he grew older, he became one of the most famous concert violinists to ever walk the face of the earth making great money. The amazing thing about him was he was known consistently to give his funds away very generously to charities and to the local community. So he never was acquiring much wealth in and of itself to be spoken of because he consistently gave big, large, these large sums of money away. Mr. Chrysler was doing a concert and while he was there visiting a city, he went into one of his famous or favorite little shops as he had made his travels and there were violins that were hanging around this shop. And one in particular caught his eye. He had never seen it before. The story didn't tell what it was. I'm not sure whether it was a Stradivarius or what the exact violin was that he saw. But he, he went and he grabbed it from that owner and he looked at it. But because he had made such a livelihood of giving the money away, he didn't have enough with him to purchase. So he delicately handed it back to the owner and said, I'll be back for that. However, a couple of concerts later and money saved and ready, he walked back into that owner's shop and he began to look. He studied the wall, the spot where it had been, had been replaced by another. And so he studied, he looked into the recesses of the room and in desperation he called for the owner from the back of the shop and said, where is it, where is it, the, the violin that I had told you I was coming back for and it came to memory of the owner, he said, oh, Mr. Chrysler, he said that that violin has been sold to a collector. He, like you, found a special place in his heart for it. Mr. Chrysler pushed on that man and said, Please give me the information. I've got to see it. I've got to hold it one more time. I've even got to make an appeal to purchase it. And so after some, he relented and gave the address of the individual to Mr. Chrysler. And the story goes on. And says that he came and he knocked on the door and the man opened up. And because he had such a love for violins, being a collector, he recognized the great concert violinist, Mr. Chrysler, and invited him into the house. And there it was, in fact, along with many other violins, that prized possession that he wanted so much hanging on the wall. Oh, please sell it to me, he begged with the collector. The collector said, there is no way I cannot sell it. I feel like I've looked my whole life for a violin like this. Finally, he said, would you at least let me hold it one more time? Could I maybe play it? That collector looked at him and said, okay. And he, he pulled it off the wall and he put a bow in Mr. Chrysler's hand. And there he, he rested his chin upon it and he drew that bow across the strings and he began to make a sound like as the collector had never heard before. The story records that as he began to play and the melody began to fill that room that the collector began to cry and his soft whimpering turned into hard tears and his hard tears turned into an uncontrollable sob, sobbing until he finally shouted out through the room, I cannot keep this violin. I am a collector. But you, you sir, have a sound the world needs to hear. I'm to a place where I'm recognizing like never before 
that we are either going to be collectors that have the greatest gift that's ever been put in an earthen vessel and we hang it on the shelf of our homes or on the hallway of our heart or we're going to be people that recognize that we have a sound the world needs to hear. That's what SFC is really all about. SFC is not outside of these pages. Sure, you're never going to turn to Matthew or Mark, find in the synoptic somewhere about what sheaves for Christ. But I can take you through this book and show you more about giving and investing in the kingdom than on any other topic that there is. But I'm preaching to the choir, ain't I? I'm preaching to a group of people that know what it is to give and give sacrificially and sow into the kingdom of God. But I can tell you, and may I just remind you, because that's what I feel like doing, reminding you that when you sow sacrificially into the kingdom of God you're putting a violin so to speak into the hand of some foreign missionary that's standing on foreign soil and I know that they're not the same skin color and I know that they don't speak the same language and I I know that they don't have the same cultural background but they're playing that violin or as it were preaching that gospel unto brothers and sisters that we may never link up with here they may never step through the doors of Atlanta West but there will be a time when we join with them. I think my greatest thing about the treasure theme is that while thousands daily gather to the oceans to try to find gold and silver that the very thing they're searching for is going to line the streets of the place I'm investing in. What they're calling treasure for a bank that they might throw into a safe, it'll be transparent like as unto glass that one day that brother that I never met and that orphan that I never held with my own hands and that missionary that I never personally preached beside but every time I put a hundred dollars every time I put five hundred dollars now listen a sacrifice is different for every person for one woman it was two mites when for someone else they had to burn up the entire yoke of oxen it's just different what you give you give as unto the Lord but until it's sacrificial retired missionary Dan Scott told me until it's sacrificial it's not even giving at all I began to ask Brother Joel Johns for some stories knowing the history of this church and giving sacrificially and he let me read through some testimonies. I got to tell you after Youth Congress Friday night offering I stood in that financial room anybody in there could tell you I just broke down and began to weep. Because I understand I come from a blue collar family. I know it's sacrificial. Trust me. I know what sacrificial giving looks like. I know what giving looks like when the money's not there. I know what it's like to watch sickness hit your family and still watch your parents pay tithes and give it all. I think a lot of the reason I'm standing here today is because they sacrificially gave them. Because you're going to invest in something. I stood in that offering and I finance room and I begin to weep as they were tallying looking at these monies I begin to think about precious elders and sweet young people 
I began to think about stories like the ones Brother Joel Johns had shared with me talking about people here, someone that didn't have the money to give but God spoke to them and impressed on them what they were supposed to give in an offering a couple years ago and they gave it and when they gave it somehow out of nowhere isn't it like the Lord does it? He Just out of nowhere a check came in the mail that was more than what they needed to pay a mortgage payment and they said this doesn't compare with what I gave. I don't know how the Lord does this. I cannot comprehend still how it works in the finances of God. I don't recognize how it works with paying, paying tithes and, and giving, but I found this out. As long as you provide it and you give it, God just keeps giving it back. In a, but Can I get a witness in the room that somebody would tell me? Somebody said, how can you preach about sacrificial giving? When you really know about sacrificial giving, we cannot afford not to preach and be involved in sacrificial giving. And I don't want you to take this wrong, but if you'll pay $500 for them to go to a summer basketball camp, but you're mad that it costs $200 to send them to youth camp, the balances are up. A college kid a couple weeks ago had saved up their entire down payment for school. Now listen, I believe in being wise and being a wise steward. And guarding, I'm frugal by nature. They gave their entire down payment. Their parent came to me and said, I was like, oh God. You know, sometimes there's, oh God, sometimes there's, oh God. (laughs) God ever challenged you to give something more than you felt like you could? Come on. If he hasn't, you haven't been listening well. (laughs) God's never told me to give anything much. You haven't been talking to him much. Because he doesn't look at material things like we do. He looks out, he, he talks about the lilies of the field. He talks about the raiment that we wear. Don't even give thought to tomorrow. That college student gave that down payment. Two days later, two days later, someone walked up in the church and gave the exact, and said this, two days ago the Lord spoke to me. And told me an exact amount to give it. And slid a check across. And put it in the hands of that teenager. Now listen, some might think, what's that matter? $1,000, $2,000, whatever it was. That doesn't seem big. You know what it is? For the rest of their life, when God gives them an amount to give. You're not investing into a weak kingdom here today. You're investing into a kingdom. He owns the cattle of a thousand. In the back of the seat right there by you is one of those cards. I want you to grab that card. I'm drawing right here to a close. I want you to take that card. I want you to hold it up towards the Lord. I'm going to release you to pray in a second. But for the first part of this prayer, I want you to repeat exactly after me. We get nervous about that. I got a lot of Bible for this. It's okay. I want you to pray repeating after me, okay? God, I pray you'd move on my heart. And let it get through to my mind. And let it transfer to my pen. That I would be willing to invest in your kingdom. Not what I want to give. But exactly what you speak to me, oh God. I shared this in the first service and we're about to pray in a second. But 
I had already at home today is our SFC sacrificial offering at the church that I attend. My beautiful wife and our kids are there. And we had already determined the amount that I thought was really good. The Lord woke me up this morning with a scripture that does not ever get told to me about giving. In Mark the fourth chapter, it begins, he starts talking about he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. But he took me to verse 24. In verse 24, he said, be careful about what you hear. Whatever measure you meet, that's the same. It'll be measured to you. And I had to pray. I'm telling you, I'm being very transparent with you. I had to pray. I said, Lord, I don't understand. And the Lord gave me a number that was sizably above what I had given. And so I asked God to run the numbers again. <laughs> you know, we, we overflesh the Spirit. Can I tell you something? We, we do this. You ever felt prompted to invite somebody at a gas station? Or you ever felt like you're supposed to give sacrificially and you do this number? I think that's just me. I, I really hate to do this. This is going to mess with some of you. But your flesh is never going to try to convince you to do something spiritual. I think that's just me. It's not. But if the Holy Ghost is resident in you. And you can tune your ear into the Lord. So I text my wife this morning. I told her, the Lord began to speak to me that whatever we measure in, however we, however we invest, that's the way He's going to invest into me. The church I'm from in Talmadge, Ohio, people look at that now, the beautiful campus that's there, the new campus, the multicultural, multi-ethnic revival that's taken place. It is one of the most powerful churches in the United Pentecostal Church. It is a powerful place. But I could take you to a service about 10 or 15 years ago, probably closer to 15 years ago now. We're standing there in a service, a spirit of sacrificial giving moved into that. A young man walked down and gave the deed to his truck and said, I have no money to give. And I'm telling you, Something began to move all over that room that night. I cannot tell you what it did for me when I was there on staff at that church. It was not only the financial blessings of God as people that were headed for vacations begin to write half of, a, half of that vacation amount. Some of them entire savings that they had been saving and building up for down payments on homes and they were writing it up. Not only did miracles begin to happen financially in the lives of those people, but we watched Pastor John's as the attendance door it's like, I don't know how it happens I don't understand the economy of God but the gates begin to swing open and the attendance it just began to flood and souls came from everywhere we were reaching for fields it's not that we had not been reaching we had been passing out flyers we had been knocking doors the choir had been singing good the preaching had been anointed but there was something tied to that sacrificial offering that's like God looked at us and said when you trust me with what I give you then I can trust you with what I have to give you in your own way the blessings of God I want the cow and the team to come the blessings of God are ready to be bestowed on you and on your family and on your life and I know that for many of you you are seasoned in sacrificial giving this is not your first sacrificial offering and I honor you for that. To the elders that have sold baked goods, to the sweet families that have sold trail mix and to the individuals who have saved up and worked all summer and given and 
those that have wrote it out of a savings account, then you know that it was supposed to be earmarked for other things. I, I honor you in the name of the Lord, but I remind you again today, our first treasure is Him. But I don't just have a treasure in heaven. I have treasures in heaven. And my second treasure is them. I want you to take that card and I want you right now where you're at, I want you to begin to pray over it. And I want you to begin to pray in your own words that your ear would be able to hear. They're going to begin to play and they're going to begin to sing. And I'll give you instructions in a minute. But I'm asking you not to write the amount that you even pre-decided coming in here. Some of these cards ought to have scratch marks where you had planned on giving a thousand but the Lord speaks three or five thousand to you. You had planned on giving a hundred dollars and you know that's a stretch for you. But the Lord spoke to you and told you to double it here today. I'm Listen, I promise you I'm not asking you to do something that I don't believe in and that I'm not invested in but I'm trying to connect you textually in the pages of the scripture and remind you that when you give to the kingdom that the kingdom will give to you the amazing principle here is that Jesus looked at them and said for where your treasure is there will your heart be also It's not that your treasure follows your heart. It's that your heart follows your treasure. And I want my treasure to be in the things of the Lord. I want you to, listen, we're going to come in a minute, but I want you to hold that dear. And right where you're sitting, right where you're sitting, I want you to begin to pray over that. Here's how I want you to pray. I want you to begin to pray, God, take these funds where they Walk them into the high schools they're supposed to walk into. Walk these into countries. God, I'm so burdened to see this. We got countries that have yet to be opened. I asked Brother Hal in front of an entire committee, help us know how much money it'll take to open a new country. That every knee would bow. That every tongue. I want you to begin to pray where you're at. Begin to sing for us right now. I want this to become a safe place of prayer. We'll move in a moment. we got a few minutes to do this right here. Stronghold is still being loosed. God, we believe. Yes, we can see. Wonders are still what you do. Yes, yes. And bodies are still being <laughs> raised. And giants are still being slain. God, we believe. Yes. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We're here for you. Come and do what ah, you do. Move on our hearts. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. Come on, let the Lord speak to you right now. Come on.
come and do. Yes, we need a move of God. We need a move. When you feel too, I want you to just stand where you're at and lift that card to the Lord. I want you to begin to treat this as a wave offering before the Lord. are about to happen in this room right now after we bring this offering. I'm telling you, we're about to unleash the favor of God in a supernatural I want everybody that's able, I want you to stand with us. And I want you to lift your hands and your voices. And I want you to begin to prepare the atmosphere. We speak, we speak about the need for a move of God. The beginning of creation, we draw this here, 
The Spirit of the Lord moved on the face of the waters. Really what happens in a move of God. Nothing happened until God began to speak. The Spirit began to move, but it was preparing the surface for the creative principles of God. A move of the Spirit is, sim- it is not the completion, it is the preparation. It's the preparation for the voice of the Lord to begin to speak. And so when we need a move, we feel a move. What it does, it makes it breaks up the fallow ground. It makes our heart ready for the seed of the word. It, it prepares the surface oil. Then God says, I, I think there ought to be light. And light comes in. I want there to be herb yielding seed and, and, and fruit. And, and, I, I think, and then watch this. When he created man, what did he do? He reached into spoken creation. And here it is again, this hidden vessel. And he reached into the earth. And he began to find a treasure. And he began to form it. And he formed him in the likeness of man. Male and female created he then. And God right now has given us a spirit, a movement. But I'm telling you something supernatural. For some of you, can't explain this. For some of you, when you bring this sacrificial offering. And you're going to come and you're going to lay it on the altar. When you lay it on the altar, something is going to break in your life. It's going to shift in your life and there's going to be something that happens for you. If you think I'm preaching to excite you, you don't know me very well. That's not what this moment is about. But I know the principles of God that when you lay it on and you trust the Lord with what looked like it should have been 300 and then He spoke and you turned it into 500 and you slide it onto that altar and God sees that it will release I need a move in my family. I need a move in my mind. Need a move in your health. You need a move in your wealth. You need a move in your home. Whoever I'm speaking to right now, that it's been a long time since you felt the glory of God in your own physical house. After you've given this offering today, you're going to walk in your house and it's going to be like the angels of the Lord have descended on your residence and something is... As you feel it, they're going to sing again. I want you to bring that. And when you give it, I want you to give it. But then I want you to find a little place. And I want you to begin to worship the Lord right now. Because you've trusted it with the Lord. After you get that out of your hands, I want you to lift your hands. And let Him begin to put something new into your hands. Let Him begin to put something new into your spirit. I don't know how it works in the economy of God. Some of you will get checks in the mail this week. Some of you will get deposits in your account you weren't counting on. It's just that when you trust Him with it, He gives it back. Bring your offering. Bring your pledge. Come. Come from the least to the greatest. From the smallest to the largest. Would you come and then find a place and begin to worship? Miracles happen. Yes, they do.